Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super honored and excited today to have my podcast colleague, David Mudrick, with me. He was a civil engineer by education who designed highway bridges and inspected large federal dams for safety. He's an entrepreneur who built an Inc. 500 company, one of the fastest growing small businesses in 2009. He's the current CEO of Laser Gifts that produces personalized products for the souvenir and tourist market in the U.S., and he's the creator of the Evolution Network podcast. Welcome, David Mudrick. Thank you, Don. It's great to be here. I'm so excited that you are coming out of your shell. This was, I mean, I just said to you when we were in the program together, you know, you were real quiet and um, sort of like tentative when you talked and stuff. And, and over the course of the program, it was like you just blossomed and came out of your shell. And so then when I met you in London, it was like, yes, this is the man. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it was in there somewhere. It took a while to get it out. <laughs> so why why do you think um, why do you think that you had that fear before? Well, you know, I didn't really know why. I knew I had some failures in public speaking situations growing up. Uh-huh. So I ran for class president in high school and bombed the speech, kind of messed it up, and uh, I did the and, same. By I did the same. By the way. Uh, did you? <laughs> Yeah. And then I guess I had two or three more, you know, like when, when I wasn't prepared, uh, I had to give a, a last minute talk at a damn safety conference. My boss couldn't do it. And he said, okay, you go do this, you know, and it's like a hundred uh, foreign engineers, like big shots from around the world. And I'm like, uh-huh. uh, this is like awful. So I never really knew why I just was afraid of it because I knew I had failed at it. So, you know, I took this speaking course and this podcasting course, and I started to get better at it, but there was still something there. You know, there was still something that just, uh, you know, in my gut would tense up, like, I don't really want to do this. So anyways, I decided to go to a hypnotherapist, Uh and one session, he took me back um, under hypnosis, and I found it was in grade school. I went to a Catholic uh, elementary school. Uh Uh-huh. And it was a pretty awful place. I mean, they beat you a lot. Uh, the punishment very was strict re- corporal punishment. Yeah, very bad. I mean, paddled in front of the class, you know, standing in the hall with a pile of books with your arms stretched out. Wow. If you let the books down, you know, you were going to get detention for a week. I mean, just wow. Um, pretty awful physical stuff. So uh, anyways, what he helped me find was he said, well, what did you learn? Because I would question things. I would ask questions like, well, why can't we eat meat on Friday or whatever? That was a bad thing to ask, right? Because they would just come back with a, a roller and crack your knuckles with it. So, you know, under this hypnosis, I said, well, I learned that if I didn't say anything, I didn't get in trouble. Uh-huh. And it was like, bingo, that's where it came from. So he took me through a little routine to go back and kind of face to those situations and I mean, it was kind of miraculous. As soon as I came out of the uh, hypnosis, he said, how do you feel? And I said, I feel like I want to go to a podcast. I want to talk to people. 
<laughs> I feel free. <laughs> yeah. It's still kind of hard for me to believe, even though I've done a lot of studying on the subconscious and I understand uh-huh. how it works and how things get in there. It is pretty hard for me to believe that something from, you know, second grade can be a limiting factor your whole life. But well, I think, was. I think it's those messages that we hear, you know, from our external sources, you know, like kids, when they show up, they cry when they're upset, they yell when they're mad, they laugh when they're happy. I mean, they have this pure freedom of expression. But, you know, as we grow up, we're silenced, you know, like children are to be seen and not heard. I mean, I I remember that's an old, old message, like from my parents' generation. And, um, you know, and in school, you need to be quiet, you need to sit in your seat, you you know, you have all these like rules and regulations that your natural, um, your natural uh, um, affinity is not to do those things, you know, it's just to be free and to be who you are. And so I think it's really challenging, you know, when you hear these messages, and I guess I would, I would ask you. Was this a message that you heard in your family as well? No, I think it was more from school. I mean, other than what you said, I mean, I think, you know, what kids aren't told, you know, be quiet, shut up, you know, adults uh-huh. are trying to have a conversation, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, so I think that general kinds of uh, feedback, uh, but no, nothing. No, my parents were pretty open as far as, anything really I think it was a school it was but you spend most of your time there right right all all day long so I think it had a big influence and what about do you have siblings yeah I have one brother uh, three years younger Uh uh-huh and how was how was the communication in your family um not that great um I think we just never really talked about things very openly very honest um, so yeah, you know, it was okay, but I mean, looking back, it wasn't, um, I think the church ruled a lot of stuff and a lot of the thinking with my mom and my grandmother, you know, we're both uh-huh. very religious. And so I think you didn't question a lot of stuff, you know, you didn't, they weren't open to new ideas. Uh-huh. It's really fascinating because my family, I mean, uh, we were involved in a Catholic community, um, and but it was more, I don't know, are you familiar with the Encounter movement, like Marriage Encounter and um, High School Encounter? No, not really. With that? <clears throat> it was based, I think it was basically um, with uh, Franciscan priests that were sort of more laid back and open because we lived in Southern California. And so that was all about open communication and honesty and authenticity. And so I got completely different messages about being able to sort of speak my truth, even if it was kind of scary. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's way different than my experience. So Uh yeah, I guess it's a local thing, you know, depends Mm -hmm. on the church and how they interpret whatever their teachings are. Uh Uh-huh. And so how did that, so how did that impact your relationship with your wife? Um, well, my first wife, I mean, I think 
we were high school sweethearts. We got married as soon as uh, when I was 21, as soon as I graduated um, college. Uh, I don't know. We kind of grew up together. I mean, I was never really on my own, uh-huh. which I, looking back, I think was not a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I never really kind of knew who I was. It was just us together. And we both wanted to escape where we had grown up, which was uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we didn't really like that area. So, you know, I took a job in Denver and we kind of, you know, embarked on this like journey. How, so. how far can I move away? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really wasn't trying to get away from my family as much as I was just, uh, I don't know, Pittsburgh is a dismal place and it's cloudy all the time. And, you know, this is back in the, I graduated in 78 from University of Pittsburgh and it was still the steel industry and right. you know, it was kind of a, a dark, dirty kind of a city. And it was just nice to get out of there and go to somewhere where it was sunny. Uh-huh. And so how was, so how was your, um, so how was your communication with her? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think, um, I was still, I was an introvert in high school and obviously being an engineer in college, pretty much introverted and she was in psychology. So she, and she was more an outgoing person. So I think that's, you know, what the initial action was you know when looking back I think most of our marriage I was focused on my career uh, building a business and I was just motivated by making more money I thought making money was gonna you know was the key to being successful mm-hmm. so I you know with uh, my wife and also with my kids I was there all the time but I was not really there you know, I mean, I went to all of their functions, their birthdays. I never missed anything, uh, but I wasn't really present in the moment. I was, you know, well, early on, there weren't cell phones, but, you know, right. I was still preoccupied with thinking about, you know, business or my job or the company later on. Yeah. And I guess I never really knew how to be present. I, I just, I don't know. I was caught up in my own thoughts and my own mind. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't really know how to listen to other people. I didn't, I always said I didn't understand other people. And, you know, I said, well, engineers aren't supposed to, you know, <laughs> that's why we're engineers. <laughs> nice excuse, <you> know? <laughs> David. Nice excuse. <laughs> um, but I think it wasn't that I didn't understand them. I think uh, I didn't understand myself. Yeah, I, I was, was going to so, say that. Yeah, kind of wrapped up in my own thoughts and my own head that um, it's not that I didn't care about other people because I know some people said, you know, that they would think I was kind of aloof or didn't care. I just wasn't able to care because I couldn't get out of my own head and my mm-hmm. own problems and my own fears. Mm-hmm. So I, it was like I couldn't take on somebody else's things. You know, I already had my own. So, right. Um, which, which, which in a way, um, which in a way I think is healthy and important that you are concerned about your own, uh, internal, um, well-being. But if you're, if you're struggling with that, it's hard, it's hard to, um, it's hard if, if you're having a hard time managing your own 
emotional welfare, it's hard to figure out how to help somebody manage theirs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so what's your relationship like with your kids now? Uh, I don't really have a relationship with them once we got once I got divorced uh, from my first wife, uh, which was about well about ten years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. They kind of sided with her, and I have very little contact with them. I mean, I send them presents, I send them cards, and um, they won't really pick up the phone if I call them. I'll leave a message and. So I'm going to work, I'm working on that now because I've become kind of a different person and, you know, mm-hmm. and I understand why, um, why they have some of the feelings towards me that they probably do, but it's kind of hard when you really have, don't have any relationship, you're trying to even figure it out. Like, well, uh-huh. what is the real problem? But looking back, I know part of the problem for that. Um, Wait, can, can you say that again? My internet just wobbled. I think part of the problem is that I wasn't really there for them. Mm-hmm. You know, when I looked at um, when they were growing up, I was looking at uh, what could they become? You know, I was all about education, learning more. I would uh, spend any amount of money to have them take classes or to learn something. Uh, they were both, both very uh, smart 4.0 kinds of kids, but they had to be pushed to be there. Uh And, you know, looking back, I was trying to control them, I guess, probably just like, uh, I don't know, maybe the church and my parents and everyone else were controlling me. That's all I knew, Uh you know, and I don't think they ever really found their own way. So, you know, I have a lot that I could say to them and, you know, I'm going to repair the relationship eventually. I just am trying to figure out how, I guess, or what the first steps are. Let me ask you, what would you like to say to them? Um, I would say that I'm sorry, but that I think I did the best I could at the time. And if I had it to do over again, that I wouldn't have the same kind of relationship at all with them when they were growing up. Mm -hmm. How would you change it? I would help them find themselves as opposed to me trying to guide them to be who I thought they should be. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have evil intentions. I was just, I didn't know any better. Right. I mean, I, and I think as a parent, you want what's best for your kids. And so you do, you do have to sort of channel them. Um, but I think that comes back to you not really understanding yourself and not being present. And so how do you show your kids that that's, um, that that's important to you? Yeah, I wouldn't even have known how at the time. It wouldn't have even made any sense to me. You know, uh-huh. all I knew is what the way I was raised and, and, you know, being an engineer is like everything's very structured, very logical. Right, right. That's kind of all I knew. Have you uh, have you tried to write them a letter? I have a few years ago um, with really no response, but now I'm going to make a video. So <laughs> I'm going to do a podcast to them. <laughs> Good. Um, and then, you know, I know they'll watch it. So each one of them. So uh-huh. uh, 
I guess I've been putting it off. I don't know. It's probably still a, uh, got some kind of a fear rejection kind of. Yes, I would. I would imagine so that that because because by doing this, you're really showing up, um, being very vulnerable. You know, saying, "Hey, these are the ways that I messed up or I did something wrong," and um, you know, like I can imagine that you probably are afraid of being judged or criticized even more. Um, you know, because you're trying to repair the relationship with them because there's already this distance there and, and you don't want to create more distance. Yeah. How, how old are they, David? Uh, 30 and 33. And do you, do you know if they have children as well? Uh, no, they don't. They're both single. Uh-huh. Boy, girl? Uh, two girls. Two girls. And... Um, the other thing that I that I feel very strongly about, uh, because I have been talking to my own daughter about this, because she was mad at her dad for quite a while, um, you know, uh, leading up to our divorce that just happened this summer. And I said, you know what, I know that you're angry at your father. And you have the right to be, you know, you have a right to your feelings. Um, but I hope that you come to this place <clears throat> where you can have some compassion and understanding for him and where he came from, you know, how he was raised and how he operates in the world. Because if you don't repair your relationship with him, if you don't have compassion and understanding and acceptance and, and also forgiveness for him, that you're going to carry that around with you in all of your other relationships. And so in order to heal yourself, regardless of what, he does with what you talk to him about, you know, I, I think it's important for her to express, you know, Hey dad, I was upset about this, or I was frustrated about this, or I, or I felt sad about this. And um, so I hope for your sake and for your daughter's sakes that they are open to listening to what you have to say to them. Cause I think it would be healing for all of you. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess I'm not worried about the judgment quite that much anymore because I figure I don't really have much to lose. I really have everything to gain. So right. like, why not try? You know, right. I, I'm no worse off. So well, I think and, that's kind of giving me like the power to go, well, yeah, well, why not? So I just, yeah. I guess I'm, maybe I shouldn't look at it that I only have one chance, but I want to make whatever I do like be impactful. And I don't know what that is yet. So. Well, and I was, and I was going to say, it's not one chance or one time, you know, like, okay, I tried one time and it didn't work. You know, I, I think what happens when you are disconnected from somebody and you have this sense of um, lacking and sort of safety and trust with the person, you know, because you are disconnected, that it takes time to rebuild that trust and that sense of safety. Like, I'm, you know, I'm coming to you to help you try to understand me as I want to also understand you better. And that takes yeah. time with any relationship. So maybe I need a weekly video. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Two minutes a week. <laughs> I won't overwhelm you. It's just. <laughs> I think that's a great idea, actually. I mean, whatever whatever it takes, 
whatever you want to do to know. Um, and this is, I mean, they may never, <clears throat> they may never open their doors to you, which I hope for all of your sake that they do. Um, because sometimes kids just cut themselves off. Uh, but I think it, I think there's so much um, healing and growth that can happen out of opening the door to people that have hurt you. Um, you know, it's really about understanding yourself and, and having more compassion for the other person as well as for yourself. And I think that's how we heal the world. Yeah. And I think, you know, I do have the ability to have some empathy right now, which I didn't even understand the word mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my wife now gave me a book a long time ago, which was empathy. She's like, you need to read this. And I went, okay, I'll read it. I don't really understand it, but I, so I sort of understood it then, but now I can actually feel it. So I, I do think I know the main reason is like when we were getting divorced, I just didn't talk to them. I was avoiding it because I was like everything. I was afraid to talk to anyone. It wasn't just them. I didn't yeah. talk about personal things, sensitive things. Those were like internal things you kept to yourself. Right. So, yeah, I mean, looking back, I think it would have been somewhat easy to just say, okay, well, what do you think about this? And what are you going through? And what do you look, I didn't have any of those conversations. Like I had no conversations. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, well. Hopefully we learn from things, from mistakes in the past. And, you yeah. know, I wouldn't be that way again with anyone, but, um, yeah. But that's, that's, is, that's part of your own evolution. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how has, so how has that changed in your current marriage? Well, okay. Well, that's like a long story, I guess. <laughs> it's a long evolution. <laughs> Um, so then, so Kaylee and I, we've been together about 10 years. We've been married about four coming up on five. Uh -huh. uh, we've been separated for the last year. Wow. Where do I start? It's been a couple of crazy years. Mm -hmm. So she, again, okay. I think I found someone else who was the opposite of me because 10 years ago I was still, you know, um, uh, engineer, materialist, rationalist, atheist, you name it, right? Just, and she was, um, in high school, she was the cheerleader. So that tells you enough, right? She's the outgoing, she's center of attention, she's mispersonality, she's, you know, all the things that I'm not. So um, it was good. We got along really good until things went bad. So I think the first one was she started to get ill okay, mm -hmm. and we didn't know why. Mm -hmm. So she was getting really serious symptoms like uh, they tested her for Parkinson's and MS and Alzheimer's and all these tests and they couldn't find anything wrong. And so looking back, one of the things that was happening was, you know, she was like my sunshine. She, I come home from a bad day at work and all these problems, she would say, let's go out let's have some fun and she could pull me out of it right mm -hmm. so uh, over a year or two with her getting more and more ill all of a sudden like both of us are kind of miserable people right she's it's, not that she's not the cheerleader anymore because she really has to focus on just trying to stay well 
Right. And I'm like trying my best to help her. We're, we're going all over the country. We went to Johns Hopkins. We went to UCLA Medi Medical Center. We went to Mayo Clinic, all these experts and everyone's saying, well, there's, there's nothing wrong with you. If we can't and, figure it out, that must have made you guys feel really helpless. Yeah. And me, I'm, I'm the fixer, right? That's what you do all right. day with a business. Like, give me a problem. Right. Let's tackle it. Well, I can't tackle this. So then we find out that it was mold. There was a toxic mold in our house, in the crawl space of our house, which was, she had an art studio right next to this area. Uh -huh. So she was breathing in these spores and it was giving her all these um, neurological symptoms. So we, that was one thing I, I was trying to sell my business and I was within two weeks of it closing and the deal fell through. Uh, a bunch of key employees left. Uh, I fell off a ladder and broke three bones in my foot. Oh my gosh. Uh, our dog died. I mean, I could go on. Oh, geez. It was like a horrible two years. It was just compounding bad, bad, bad. Wow. You know, and I used to say, well, there's like a black cloud hanging over me, which, you know, now that I know, well, if you think there's a black cloud hanging over you, well, there is, right? And yeah. it's just bad things kept piling on. And then she started to get better. Uh, she actually went to um, an Andean, not Andean, a Cherokee medicine woman because mm -hmm. she went through the whole, she went through the medical profession. They're saying, we can't help you. She went through naturopaths. She went through homeopaths. I mean, there wasn't anyone left. And one of her friends said, well, why don't you see this uh, woman, Rebecca, who was local here. And she helped her and she helped her kind of change her life into thinking that she had some power to get better wow. and that she wasn't going to die because and Kaylee didn't tell me this at the time, but she was ready to commit suicide. Wow. He shows me where like driving uh, down this big hill on the interstate where she was going to drive her car off the road because she was yeah. so distraught and like, well, what do I do? Everyone's saying there's nothing wrong with me, but I think I'm dying. She felt really hopeless. So I think it was, I think originally it was a physical thing and it was the mold. But I think at some point later, it became somewhat psychological, kind of mixed in with like this hopelessness where, you know, if you think you're going to die, then you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyways, this woman helped her uh, kind of turn herself around. And she started improving and being more optimistic. Well, now I'm a wreck. Okay. Mm. And she's like, well, I don't really want to be with you. And I was like, I don't want to be with me either. Like, I, you know, I don't know how I got to this point, but, you know, I, I was never the most happy, optimistic person, but now I'm like depressed and miserable and mm -hmm. I wanted to commit suicide. So wow. um, she was in the process of leaving and I said, well, you know, what do you think I should do? And she's like, I think you should go see the same woman. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. I'm not going to believe in this. It's a Cherokee medicine woman. I'm an engineer, right? I have no <laughs> proof this stuff works. Where's, right. Where's the science? <laughs> yeah. So I, at that point I was like, okay, well, I don't have anything to lose. So I'll go. Uh -huh. So I went to see her. Um, uh, it was maybe, I don't know, an hour and a half. And it was mostly just like she played some drums and she did some chanting. And um, it didn't seem like anything that special to me. But when I came out of there, I got back in my car to drive back to work. 
and somehow something had changed. Like I was looking at the world differently and I was like, what the hell just happened? Like the sky looks blue and, (laughs) and it's like a beautiful day. And I remember sitting at a traffic light and looking at people in the cars coming the other way. I was like, I feel like connected to these people somehow. And I'm like, I, I care about them or something. It was a bizarre feeling. I mean, I felt like I was on drugs or something. Like, this is not me. Guess what? You were experiencing full presence. Yeah. Well, now I know that. But at the time, I, I yeah. you know, I probably hadn't since, I don't know, since I was a kid and uh-huh. got misdirected into the material world. Uh-huh. So that's what started me like on my own journey of like, well, wait, what else don't I know? What else? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's a big question, David. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so then I realized real quickly, I don't know shit. I, don't know. I thought I knew everything. Well, yeah, maybe I knew how to design a bridge or a product. but uh, The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. So now I realize I know absolutely nothing which is uh-huh. a way better state to be in. <laughs> so what happened after that? Well, Kaylee was, just, she was still moving out and it, the house was a chaos and it was just, I had one little corner. I had like one, there was one side of the bed, which was mine, which was like my only spot in the house <laughs> where I could go that wasn't a disaster And so all I, I had my uh, laptop and I watched YouTube like thousands of videos, like anything I could get my hands on that was somewhat science related. So I, I listened to like, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Bruce Lipton, Greg Braden, people who who were trying to make some connection between spirituality and science. So though I could. And consciousness. Yeah. I could relate to those people a little more than. You know, we're just an hour away from Sedona. And, you know, now I know a lot of those people over there are kind of right, but they don't know why. Like, and so that. And my engineering mind needs to know why. (laughs) Right. So I can listen to them now and I can say, well, because you have this experience and it works that way, I'm okay with it. But at first Uh to get me into it, I had to see the science connections, Uh you know, and that's why I like people like Dr. Joe, who would hook electrodes up to people when they were meditating, look at their brain waves. And, you know, so that kind of stuff. Then I was going, okay, there is something here in meditation. So so what, what happens? Can you tell us like the science behind meditation and spirituality and consciousness? Well, I think you're getting your brain into its natural state. And I think, you know, the conscious is kind of like taken over and become your worst enemy. You know, when you're in zero to seven, you're basically, your subconscious mind is rolling. And your subconscious mind is like a supercomputer. It's got 95% of your brain's computing power. The conscious uh-huh. is 5%. And when we get distracted with the conscious thoughts, the subconscious takes over and starts playing these lousy programs. And that's the programs like I was talking about, where you're afraid to speak yeah. or... The they fear, the know what's in there. criticism, the doubt, yeah. the yeah, insecurity. Uh-huh. So when you let that subconscious take over, and you know, and it got programmed, like Bruce Lipton says, not by you. It got it's a giant recorder. It got programmed by other people. 
So how do you how do you shift the recording? How do you change that recording in your in your head to remember your truth? I don't think there's one thing. You know, I wish there was like the the red pill, the magic wand, yeah. the hypnosis, the hypnosis. <laughs> yeah. They're all little parts. Uh huh. I think that's the biggest work is, you know, you can do it with repetition. I mean, the affirmations and some of the things, just repeating things, which, you know, before this as an engineer, I would have said, well, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. You're going to just say I'm happy 20 times a day and you'll be happier. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, that's bogus. I'm not happy. <laughs> okay. But I, but if someone under, if they explained it to me in the way that I later understood, which is, you think you're unhappy all the time. That's in there thousands of times. That's in the program and your brain's right. going, Oh yeah, you're supposed to be unhappy. Look for the bad things. Okay. So it's, ba so it's basically deprogramming yourself. Right. Right. So when you say those affirmations, I used to play, that was one of the first things I did. And it was real powerful for me. You can find these affirmations on YouTube and they're like six or eight hours long. And I would play them in earbuds when I slept. Uh -huh. And so there's, there's two points when you're going, uh, from the conscious to, uh, the unconscious when you're asleep, um, there's a point in there when you're just in this dreamy state and that's a direct connection to the subconscious. So when you're playing these affirmations at night, they're going into the subconscious and trying to overwrite that program. And uh -huh. I had within a week, I was feeling better. Wait, say Just say that say that again. I'm sorry, my internet's wobbling again. Those affirmations while I slept at night. I'm sorry, David. Can you can you repeat that? Yeah, can you repeat that for me? Okay, so these the affirmations when I was playing them at night, I think it had a dramatic impact. Uh, just within a week, I mean, a few days, I started to feel more positive during the day. Wow. So as I found little things, that's as I would find little things that would work, then that would like open me up to like, oh, well, hey, what else is there out there? What else can I find? Uh -huh. So I guess that's how my journey went was like, and then as you listen to a lot of these podcasts or these uh, lectures, anybody that they would bring up or any book, I would go get that book. I would go listen to that person. So you kind uh -huh. of branch out from a core group of people that I really trusted that were helping me like out into other people. Uh-huh. So that's, it's, that's the it's, journey. Yeah. So there's not an easy answer, but I think you need that spark. You need that. Uh, you know, and I guess that's something that I question right now. Can people who are not really at some low point uh, kind of be turned around to maybe be inquisitive to look at, the world in a different way because we all know that like people who have either drug addictions alcohol i mean you have to reach some really low point where you've kind of lost everything and you've given up hope and then you either like in my case i said okay what do i got to lose i'll try something different uh-huh so it but seems like a lot of the people that i've learned from they've all had some really awful low point that they've come back from and then in the end they'd say well that's a learning experience which i could never understand before but i totally understand now i couldn't be where i'm at now if i hadn't gone to the depths right 
and I and I feel I feel like those low points we we because we all struggle with something and I feel like the ways that we struggle are the ways that our soul needs to grow to learn how to love and accept ourselves more. Yeah, that's definitely the key. I mean, you can't really help anyone else if you don't love yourself and you're not happy with who you are. And yeah, and I didn't understand that at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, when are you taught that, right? Never? Right. <laughs> a lot a lot of people aren't. I mean, a lot of people aren't taught that because they're just either their their, you know, family of origin has so many issues that they've never dealt with and then you, you know, you pass it along. So it's like uh families that are alcoholics and then their kids become alcoholics and um, my dad always had this big saying, like, you know, there were twins and they both had an alcoholic parent and one of the twins became an alcoholic and the other one didn't. And when you ask either of them, why are you this way? They would say, because my parent was an alcoholic. So it's like, where does that, um, where does that free will and choice come in? Where does the sense of, you know, getting to the bottom and saying, I don't like this. I want to find another way versus, oh, well, this is just how life is going to be. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of those sort of philosophical questions I have. What makes people choose differently? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question because yeah, people can have the exact same thing happen to them and be devastated by it or empowered by it. Right. Well, and, and, and even the people that become empowered by it, I think at first are devastated by it, but it's, it's figuring out how to work through those awful emotions, the painful, you know, struggle, hurt, heartbreak emotions. Um, and I think that's where like addiction and avoidance and uh, disconnection come from is that cutting off from your emotional being because you don't know how to deal with those painful emotions. But I, I think that that's really important that all of us recognize, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, is to normalize. We all struggle. We all feel heartache. We all um, go to the depths of our soul saying, this is awful and I don't know what to do about it. I it's, This is really hard for me to handle. Um, but... You know, one of the things that my parents always said was this too shall pass. So whatever state you're in, you know, if you think, where were you thinking about suicide? Was that, you said that was about a year ago? Yeah. And now look at where you are. Yeah, it's almost hard for me to believe. I'm like, is that really, it was November 12th when I went to see her. So that's like. Yeah, year, coming up on a year, and yeah. I almost forget. I, I've written a lot of stuff down because I want to write this in my book, but uh -huh. I'm forgetting. Like, did I really used to be like that? So you yeah. can totally change your whole life in a year. I mean, I'm not you saying just it have was to, easy, but you have to want to. Well, you have to want to, and you have to give yourself time and space to allow it to unfold. 
And yeah, which is why we're actually being separated was the best thing also that could happen because this gave me a year to figure this out on my own uh-huh. without distractions. That's all I had to do. I would just focus 24 seven. I would work all day and then I would come home and study all night and watch uh-huh. things and, you know, try to figure this out. So it's very hard when you're, you know, kind of in the real world with a spouse and animals and all the other distractions. So uh-huh. yeah, looking back now, um, someone asked me that, uh, what was the best day of my life and the worst day of my life? It's actually the same it's the day. Same. Yeah. It's the same day. Cause at the time it seemed, it was the worst day of my life. Right. And then looking back, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. So yeah, it's really incredible. What a gift that you chose to um, open yourself up to to different possibilities, you know, especially coming from your engineer, linear, logical mind. You're like, this sounds crazy and I don't believe in it, but what do I have to lose? Yeah, and actually I'm working on like uh, an outline for a, a TED Talk that I want to do. And, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, becoming somebody different or becoming a different person or manifesting their future. To me, no. what it is, is it's going back to who you really were. Exactly. You were five years old, when you were three years old, before society, your parents, your friends, before all these people had these influences on you that mostly limited it, limited you. Yes. You know, I mean, as a kid who, if you ask any five-year-old what they want to be, they want to be the president. They want to be an astronaut. They could be anything, <laughs> right? Uh, they have no limits on them. They yeah. have huge creativity, imagination, you know, give them yes. a cardboard box and it's a castle. And right. so that's who we really are. Yeah. So I think it's all about getting back to who we used to be. Yeah. Who we are. I mean, that's why I talk about, you know, remembering your truth. You know, who, who was I when I didn't have all of these, you know, limiting messages or people trying to make me something I wasn't, you know, uh, for instance, like, what did you love to do when you were five? Oh, go out in the woods and explore, I guess. That's what we did. We weren't allowed to be in the house and there was no video games and there was no internet, Uh right? So it was like, get Uh out of the house. So, okay, out to the woods. Explore and so what did, what did you explore? What did you discover? What did you create? A whole world. We built forts and castles and, I mean, out of whatever we found in the woods, you know, uh-huh. logs and bark and uh, nuts. And, you know, we would eat walnuts and things that we found in the woods. And uh-huh. so, yeah, it was a whole exciting world out there. Which and is probably just- why you wanted to build bridges. Well, I actually wanted to be an astronomer. So, I mean, there's another point where I got misdirected. I had seen a UFO when I was a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, like something we were out in the the yard at night in the summer. And um, it wasn't an asteroid or a meteorite. It was something like a glowing orb object that went like, from horizon to horizon, like in just a few seconds, at some tremendous speed. And so that's what got me interested in um, UFOs. I read Project Blue Book when I was in high school. And, you know, I just wanted to know what was out there. I had 
a telescope and I really wanted to be an astronomer. But when, you know, when you get into high school and you take all the aptitude tests, of course, that's not on there as one of the occupations. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you say that's I what you want to spot UFOs. <laughs> When you say you want to be an astronomer, like the guidance counselors, like talk you out of it. Oh, you're never going to get a job at that. It doesn't right. pay. Right. You know, you've got, you're always going to be searching for research grants. It's, you know, you should be an engineer. This is what you're, I'm like, okay, yeah, I really know uh, what an engineer is. But uh-huh. at the time I thought it was the guy who drove the train, which was, it was the <laughs> engineer. But um, so, yeah, I went off on a path, like not really my own. I mean, yeah. that was my passion exploring the unknown right what's out there and you know i kind of got misdirected so, probably into something as awful as you could be in as far as having any creativity uh, and uh-huh. that's the federal government right uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. huge bureaucracy rules like don't try to suggest any improvements you'll just get in trouble um, so then i knew i had to get out of there and then i started my own business uh, but then over time, you kind of get trapped by that when you have 100 employees and responsibilities and payroll. And right. Uh, okay, so, so I look at it now like I'm back. I'm back exploring the unknown in a different way. Go. Okay. So speaking of exploring the unknown, I'm guessing that your trip to Amsterdam was something about that. Yeah. So somewhere in my uh, watching thousands of videos, I came across a, a lot of people talking about uh, psychedelic drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's people like Robin Carhart Harris and uh, just a lot of people who have been trying to study it because there's been, uh, you know, it's uh, what, schedule class one? I don't know. I get the schedules mixed up. It's the worst drug there is, right? You can't even uh-huh. study any of the psychedelics. Like, so the government's banned them and basically said there's no medicinal use for these. So they won't even let a researcher study. But there's a few people who have kind of bucked the system and done some studying, or they've gone uh, to indigenous tribes around the world, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, peyote in uh, Arizona, there's mescaline in Mexico, ayahuasca brew, yep. So, um, and then, you know, reading some of the history of LSD, it was considered kind of like a miracle drug in the 50s. It was being used along with uh, uh, talk therapy um, to give kind of miraculous results on some people that had some serious trauma um, that they had to overcome. So uh, we had heard, that, or I had heard that, uh, you know, in Amsterdam, that magic truffles were still legal and that's psilocybin. So I said, you know, I want to try this. So Kaylee said, sure, I'll do it too. So um, we, when we went there, we did it. So, you know, and here's the other thing, I guess, a lot of the stigma about it is from like the 60s where people were doing it as a recreational kind of drug, all the different drugs, LSD and um, I don't even know, I'm trying to think what the other drugs were back then. I know the scientific names, but not the, <laughs> I guess magic mushrooms. I guess they were doing magic uh-huh. mushrooms, which is psilocybin. So in a party setting with a bunch of music or whatever, like it's not the same. So with an intention. So what we wanted to do was with intention, like, why do we want to do this? What do we want to learn about ourselves? 
you uh-huh. know, what problems do we want to face? So we were looking at it as a therapeutic kind of a thing. So we ended up doing it with um, two uh, therapists, uh, people that have been doing this for 20 years, um, master's degrees in psychology, did talk, talk therapy with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing is the, the guy said, he said, well, I can do with talk therapy the same thing, but it might take me 20 or 30 sessions. He goes, I find wow. with psychedelics, usually once is enough, maybe twice to get wow. through the same kind of issues. Wow. So what did, how did you approach, like, what did you want to learn about yourself? Well, for me, you know, I had already overcome what I thought was my biggest uh, fear. Uh-huh. And once I overcame that, I mean, I hate to say that I'm fearless, but I kind of am now. I'm like, okay, <laughs> if I could overcome the biggest problem I had, which uh-huh. is public speaking or speaking to people, when I look at the next ones on the list, uh, like the next one for me was like fear of water, like, cause I don't know how to swim. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'm not afraid of water anymore. I just don't know how to swim and I'm going to learn how to swim. Okay. So I don't feel like I have any fears and that's why I you know, I did enough research on these uh, drugs. Like, uh, I don't even call them drugs. I think they should be called plant medicines. Uh-huh. Uh, not really drugs. Like psilocybin is one of the least toxic substances there is. You cannot overdose on it. Really? Like you can take a thousand times the doses that you need to have an experience and you'll be all right. So it's actually a non-toxic substance and it's non-addictive. So I think know, that's just, the same with marijuana, isn't it? non-addictive? Yeah, I mean, there's some people that say it's not really addictive, but I mean, there are some people who just smoke all the time who kind of seem to be a drop out of the world and (laughs) (laughs) don't have a lot of motivation, but but at least it's not as bad as alcohol. They're not getting in cars and killing people, you know? Right, right. So, um, I don't know. I guess I got off track of there a little bit. So, so what? So what did you? So what did you want to learn? And what did you learn? I wanted to see if there were other fears or limiting factors. I guess that I uh-huh. didn't know about because now that I know how powerful the subconscious is, I'm like, well, what else is in there? There's probably other stuff. What else in is there. hiding? Yeah. Uh huh. And I, I didn't really find anything. Really. I didn't really find anything in there. But what I did was uh, came to some really, um, some conclusions that I don't think I could have come to. Okay, so in the past, I was really driven by money and materialistic things, right? Right. And so now all of a sudden I had switched and my goal was like, well, I want to help millions of people and I want to, and I had replaced money with helping people, which was driving me like, to be stressed out and like, how can, you know, I don't want to take any time off. I need to, you know, build my Facebook account more. I need more people on Instagram. I need to write this book. I need to do podcasts. So I was uh-huh. driven way too much for another thing. Uh-huh. Yes, it's a better cause, but, um, you know, just talking with the therapist, uh, this was in the first hour when the, you know, medicines were just starting to work. Uh, I mean, it was kind of amazing myself. I was like, wow, like, how did I come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, and he asked me like, well, what do you think you should do instead? And I think I need to connect more with Kaylee, my kids, my family, like all of a sudden, like things, 
it's like by getting your ego out of the way, your subconscious knows, your soul knows what it should be doing. And mm. that's what I had the ability to do. Wow. And then the other huge thing for me was, you know, when you, when you in most drugs or alcohol, you're kind of numbing reality. Right. And your senses are all dulled when you're, you know, I used to drink two drinks a day every night for 30 years when I came home. That was just my standard routine. And uh-huh. it was mainly to try to numb the pain from the day or the problems or whatever. But these medicines, they, I felt like it was more real with the psilocybin, with the magic truffles than without. Like mm-hmm. you could see the world with so much detail. Like mm-hmm. we, we probably were six or seven hours. We didn't want it to end. Like they said, you can eat some food when you want it to end. We didn't want it to end. It was so magical. I kept saying that. I know where the magical. word came from. I don't know another word, but this is magical. <laughs> and you, wherever anyone's attention went, like it was a huge windstorm outside, these huge 40, 50 mile an hour gusts of wind. Uh-huh. And we both thought, I said, listen to that wind. I think I know when the next gust is, is coming. I can feel pressure in the room. And we both agreed that we could feel the pressure change in the room. And then we would hear the gust hit the house. So it was like, like it was like being really super, like hyper aware of the changes and shifts in energy. Yeah. And, you know, when you hear this, like, um, you know, they always say, like, before tsunamis, the animals all get away, right? Right. It's, it's the stupid humans that go out and go, oh, like, what's going on here and get killed by the waves. Right. Like, animals have senses that, you know, I think we have the same senses, but I think we've lost touch with them. Right. So I think we have the ability to sense changes in air pressure and, and things that, you know, and I have tried to do it since. Well, I can't. I think it's too much information. This is my own theory is like uh-huh. anything you're looking at, anything you place your focus on uh, while you're using these drugs is like magnification of the world. Uh-huh. Like you could look at your hand and see as you take each breath, it actually swells. It gets bigger and smaller. And I could see wow. like blood flowing like in my veins, you wow. know, but yet I couldn't look at anything else. So it's mm-hmm. almost like the your eyes and your brain are capable of taking in a tremendous amount of information if you're so present in that one little area. Mm-hmm. But like if you had that much input all the time, you couldn't operate. If you could hear every sound, if you could smell every smell, if you it wouldn't it'd be overload. So my theory is that your brain has to limit the amount of sensory input to be able to function, to be able to have you drive a car, which is a very complex function, right? So it was, it was just an incredible experience. I mean, we didn't really know what to expect, but for both of us, it was, uh, we both said that it was uh, the most transformational day in our lives. In fact, we both thought it was comparable to uh, having our first child born and probably better. Wow. 
So it's, 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 I mean, as you said that I just got your own rebirth. Yeah. Yeah. And so how has that changed um, or affected your relationship with Kaylee? Well, that was the se- that was the second part of it. So we wanted to do kind of our own experience, like the first part, and then we wanted to be together. Uh-huh. And when we were just sitting together, just holding each other, we felt we were like one person, one. Um, and all the silly stuff that we had worried about or thought about, thought about, didn't matter anymore. Like we just knew we were connected on some really deep level. And then we had something really special, like to find two, you know, she was already, I became like a person like she always was. Okay. And we're kind of very similar now. And we're are very similar on our, our goals, you know, what we want to do for the world, the planet, our families to help other uh-huh. people. We have all these very common goals and somehow we could just see that. Wow. We're like, you know, we're not going to find another person like this that we're so in tune with. And all that silliness kind of went away. So it was, so it really deepened and strengthened your connection. Yeah, I think it showed us a connection we didn't even know we had. Huh. And then so after that, that's now we've started to, you know, kind of work together you know, I was going to do a TED talk and she was going to do one and, you know, okay, of course mine was going to be better. <laughs> you know, I'll do mine first. And, and then I was like, and that came to me too. I mean, right after the next day I said, why don't you do this? I like want you to succeed at this because we're, we have both have the same goal, the same uh-huh. mission to help people and uh-huh. I'll just help you with it. And so now we're, we're trying to go with each other's strengths and be like one. And I guess that's what we saw with the psychedelics, that we kind of are one. Not just us. I think we realized we're one with everybody. The therapists, it was like amazing the kind of connections we had with them. And they were just strangers, you know. But mm-hmm. that's another really common thing that people say, you know. And those are all the positive things I was hearing about before, you know, knowing I wanted to do this. I, I didn't really understand that. Oneness, people talk about oneness. Well, you know, I, I think these uh, plants give you the ability to see that connection with people. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, um, well, this is, this is what I've experienced too after my pilgrimage. I, I've had sort of a hard time kind of reintegrating into um, all the noise, you know, that's around us constantly. And it's, re- it's really, it's really causing me to, um, come more within myself and 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 try to just be more present and because i i feel like all of us are fractals of the same picture so we're all reflecting each other right and and even though i don't know have you seen those pictures where it's like different people's pictures within one picture. And so when you, so when you look from far away, it looks like, you know, some person, 
but then when you when you come close it's like oh my gosh look at all these different people and how amazing it is and that's what i feel like this universe is that we're this one um entity but made up of all these little parts but all these little parts are not separate we're all um conjoined in some way and what a beautiful gift that you and Kaylee have given each other to recognize that with each other. You know, that, that I think what happens in a lot of relationships, and I know this happened in my own, is that you feel this sense of separation and competition and sort of power over struggles. And um, what a beautiful thing to really reach out to your partner and say, hey, we're on the same team. It doesn't matter all the silly things that we're arguing about or, you know, I mean, none of those things, do do any of those things really matter? No, they did before, (laughs) which is looking back is, yeah, kind of like, why couldn't you wake up a little sooner? (laughs) But they, they did before because why? Why did they matter so much before? I think I was trying to control the world was my problem. I thought I could control uh-huh. the world, everything and everybody. And um, and so know, in I'm, trying to control, did that make you feel more powerful? Yeah, I think that helped me overcome my uh, weaknesses or my, you know, things that I was afraid to face on my own. I think uh-huh. that made me feel better. Like, okay, uh-huh. hey, I am in control of this. I wasn't in control of myself, but right. I was in control of, you know, other people. And I, and I think that worked until things went bad. So maybe it can last for a while. but Well, you can you pretend know, it works. Yeah, yeah, you're pretending until things go bad. And then when you're faced with a lot of adversity, you realize, yeah, that's not going to work anymore. Uh-huh. And then when you're looking for other people, um, I mean, that's the, like I said before, that was a perfect example. Me being unhappy and coming home at the end of the day and looking for Kaylee to make me happy. Right. Like, no, crazy. Like that's, you know, then what happens when she can't make me happy? So now I don't look at, I can be happy on my own. I mean, spending a year on my own, I am perfectly happy, but yet I really enjoy being with her. Right. So, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not an either or. It's like you have to be okay in your own body and thoughts and emotions. And then when you are, I mean, that gives you a real sense of freedom and expansion so that when you meet somebody in the same place, and I've, I've said this before, like one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals like infinite, infinity. Yeah. Because you're, you can co-create something so much bigger than you can individually. Yeah. It's so much more freeing when you're not trying to control everything. Yeah. There's a lot of stress it's because you're trying to make a certain way they don't. And um, when you... Like I even 
uh, we used to have plans to go out and then, you know, whatever would come up, Kaylee would change her mind, couldn't go or something. And I'd be all disappointed. And now I just go, Oh, okay. Well, I've got other things I can do. Like it doesn't bother me at all. You know? And I think at first she thought, Oh, you're just saying that stuff. Uh-huh. She has a lot of, she has a lot of tattoos and it used to always bother me that she would get more tattoos. Uh-huh. She always say, I'm not getting more. And she, you know, why, why now I'm like, you should get She's more. She's an artist. She's I'm an like, artist and they're beautiful and meaning. They're all meaningful. I know. And that's the way I look at it now. And I'm like, you really enjoy these. You should get more. It doesn't mean uh-huh. I'll ever get one, but uh-huh. you know, if that's what makes you happy, you should pursue that. You're not hurting anyone else. Like do what makes you happy. So, what, what an important lesson for all of us, David. Can you just repeat that please? As long as you're not harming anything, anyone else, just do what makes you happy. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're happy with your life and yourself, uh-huh. it's contagious. And the other people around you will be happier. And you can help more people when you're in that state. And you've recognized that within yourself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's incredible. <laughs> so what's really kind of unbelievable for me is like, like people that I've known for years too. And a lot of people that I work with all of a sudden, like I have totally different relationships with them. Uh They've told me like problems they have. I've tried to help some of them with ideas that I've learned. And it's like, wow, there's like this whole, like you said before, everyone's struggling. It's just some people aren't willing to admit it. Uh Uh-huh. But I think when you're authentic, and that's like a big word for me, that's one of my most yeah. important values now. Yeah. So I, I just tell people what I believe is my truth. You know, what is the truth? That's hard to figure out sometimes, but at least the truth for yourself. Yeah. When you speak that way to other people, then they feel more comfortable opening up to you and telling you. I've had so many people tell me, I've never told anyone this. Right. Which is like a really good feeling because now I feel like I really have some connection. Like it's a person I've known for a long time, but I didn't really know them, Uh you know, and now I have this more meaningful relationship with them and we can help each other. Yeah. You know, I'm not in competition. I don't want them to do bad. Like my competitors, I used to want to destroy my competitors. And now I've made up with like one of my biggest competitors that I actually sued many years ago and Uh it was awful. And, uh, I've kind of made up with them and I've called them and, uh, it's like, so it makes you feel so much better when you yeah. have all this bad stuff hanging over you from the past. Yeah. You know, it's, it's only hurting you when you have all these grudges and all these things from the past. So for me, that's a real healing process to try to go back through everyone that I was upset with or angry with and try to. Even if I don't, I mean, they may not all be really good people that I want to have a relationship with, but I can still forgive them and move on and not have emotion and still hope the best for them because I know they're struggling with whatever problems they've had. So, right. And I think, I think um, that, that part of, uh, that part of connection, you know, when you show up authentically, because authenticity is actually my big word as well. Um, that when you show up with all of the aspects of yourself, and I say not just the pretty parts that we tend to show to the world on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, but when you show up authentically, 
um, you give permission for other people to do the same, to meet you in that same place where you can both share um, the good stuff and the, and the bad stuff. You know, you can both share your struggles. You can feel compassion for each other. You can uh, gain understanding and um, come to this place of, I love and accept myself right here and right now. Therefore, I can also extend to you the same. I love and accept you right here and right now. And yep. that's, what we, that's what we all want. We all want to be loved and accepted. Well, I think one of the problems is that we have um, our governments like putting us into this uh, destroy the other mentality instead of working together, right? I mean, the whole world is doing it. We're going to build weapons and we have more weapons, you know, we can. I don't, I don't, I don't ascribe to that, David. I don't even watch it. I don't pay attention to it because that's not where I want my energy. And that's what I think people are. That's the bad thing. No, I think there are a lot of people like you and me that are coming saying, this is a new way of being, you know, even in your business, you were competitive, you were competitive, you were angry, you were trying to create this sense of separation. And it's this new reality of, you know what, there is no power over because when you try to have power over, you're really just hurting yourself. I mean, it doesn't make you feel any better. Right. But when, you know, but like when you um, and you, you and Kaylee had this experience of this oneness and this unity and this, wow, this is really cool what we can create together. How amazing is this? It just, um, it empowers everyone. There's no need for anyone to be quote unquote over or under, you know, it's like, we're all equal. We're all worthy um, we're all, um, we're, we're all deserving of love and goodness and abundance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, why can't we, I mean, it's a struggle here. Like no one comes onto the planet and has an easy life, right? Right. It's a struggle. Everyone has different struggles, right? Whether it's, you know, relationships or financial or health or they've all had struggles. So why can't we help each other out? Like the other animals on the planet do. They're not like killing each other, right? You don't see like a bunch of gazelles like trying to kill each other. Like they right. all stick together. They try to help each other from the predators. Right. Like the majority of the other creatures on the planet are actually uh, trying to help each other out. And right. we seem to be the only ones that really, maybe we're just starting to figure it out. But up till now, most of us haven't figured it out. Well, I think, I, yeah, I think that's that sense of fear and separation. And so, you know, my biggest thing is like, no, this is about unity and love. So remembering our truth of, you know, that freedom and, um, you know, the joy that you feel as a child, it's like reclaiming that for ourselves, getting rid of all those limiting beliefs and negative messages that were put in your head and that you've, you know, continue to create for yourself. It's like learning how to get rid of all of those and come to this place of, wow, this is, this is actually a beautiful life and there are beautiful people and we have beautiful connections and we can help each other 
and we can help lift each other up and we can all experience all that the universe has to offer us. And how incredible is that? Yeah. Yeah. We just need somebody like that to run for president, right? Is that Marianne? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> return to love. It's a return to love. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like the difference in your face from the time that, uh, you know, that I saw you at the beginning of the podcast, like your face just has this big light on it now. And I don't know, do you, do you see yourself in the mirror and recognize it? Um, yeah, sometimes I look and I go, that's not really me. <laughs> it hasn't really sunk in yet. <laughs> but it is. It is. And it's beautiful. Like, this is, this is who you are. This is your truth. So now you live your life accordingly. And all these things that happened in the past, they're all lessons for you to learn how to come back to your truth. Yep. That's what I'm doing every day. It's still hard. There's a lot of, it's a couple hours a day. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I still do meditation and breath work and, you know, workouts and things that, yeah. Like today, when I got up this morning, I didn't feel real well. I don't know why, you know, it huh. was not, I was in a negative kind of a energy and I was like, okay, I got to get out of this, but now I have tools to get out. That's the right. difference. I right. didn't used to know what to do. It would just right. be like, okay, this is going to be an awful day and it'll probably get worse. And I'll have a couple <laughs> of drinks when I come home and it'll be over. So, you know, yeah. rather than what? medicating at the end of the day, now, you know, I self-medicate with good thoughts and positive stuff at the beginning of the day. Uh, but yes, uh, it'd be nice what? if it was just a easy way to get this to be infectious to other people, but. I don't know. I guess well, that's part I, of what I'm working on. Yeah, exactly. That's why we're doing what we do, you know, to help raise the consciousness of the planet so that everybody can experience love and joy and freedom and abundance and creativity and, you know, fun and all these, you know, all these wonderful things. Yeah. So how do you, how do you define real love? Real love, wow. Man, I don't know. That's a hard one. I know, sure that's I why I ask it. <laughs> Real love. Well, it obviously has to start. I don't think you could have real love with someone else if you don't love yourself. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have understood that at all even a year ago. Uh, and so then what does real love mean if you love yourself or when you love yourself it's some kind of an unconditional feeling like I'm okay with myself I love myself regardless of what I've done in the past or regardless mm -hmm. of what mistakes I'm going to make in the future mm -hmm. and as long as I'm doing the best I can um, being a kind, generous, loving person, then I'm going to love myself. If mm -hmm. I can stay in that space, then, uh, and I can find someone else who has a similar thinking, then we could have real love. Mm -hmm. And, but I think it's probably pretty rare. I think this is our goal. This is our journey to discover that in ourselves. 
so that we can discover that in each other. Yeah, because you really definitely can't see it in another person if you can't see it in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, it's more, it's more challenging. I think, I think sometimes it's, it's easier to give to others. Like if, if I came to you with a problem um, and you would say, oh, you know, you're still okay, but you know, like you can encourage people, um, encourage people and help people coming from an, you know, an empathic place, but it really, <clears throat> it really comes down to, you know, having empathy and compassion for yourself so that you, you know, when you love and accept yourself, it's so much easier to spread that to everybody else. Yeah, sure. So David, this has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for being here with me. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it too. So how can people get a hold of you and find you? And um, cause I know you, you, you know, you're inspiring people all over the world. Well, you can uh, follow my podcasts on Evolution Network. You can find that on uh, Apple iTunes, mm-hmm. or you could follow me on Facebook, uh, just David Mudrick. Mm-hmm. And of course, I will put that in the show notes. Um, and f- I know that people are going to gain so much from this conversation And uh, I hope that if you haven't already, listeners, please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with all of your friends, uh, because we are trying to raise the consciousness of the planet and just spread more love uh, in the world so that everybody can come to this place of love and acceptance and, um, you know, more expansion and connection and authenticity, you know, that we have permission to show up as our true selves and we're still okay. Right, David? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So if anybody uh, would like to um, work with me on finding more connection, expansion, authenticity in your own life, as well as overcoming heartbreak and heartache struggle, um, you know, I I really try to help support people in their own healing journey And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. Feel free to send me a message and I'd be happy to help you find and create more real love in your life. And um, as all of my listeners unknowingly talk about, uh, but it's the common thread, is that the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. So it all starts with you. It all starts with creating your own happiness so that you can show up in the world and affect, you know, affect everybody else and create better relationships with yourself, with your partners, with your colleagues. Um, It's like you're the little pebble, you know, in the big thing of water and, and it just ripples out. So it all starts with you. So thank you so much, David Mudrig, for being with me. It's been an honor. And I actually hope that you and Kaylee will come on together next time. Oh, for sure. We'll do that. And thank you, Don. I really appreciate all the work you're doing. And thank you for helping raise the consciousness of humanity. Thank you. So thank you, listeners. Um, Always remember, wake up to more and more real love every day. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye.